this afternoon, we're going to be doing two things. Um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 130, at least reading it. And then also, um, we're going to continue our catechetical series as we normally do in the afternoon. And what we're going to do is we're going to be considering 88, 89, and 90 of our catechetical series um, dealing with the matter of repentance. And so what we're doing is we left off with question answer 51, and now we're jumping to 88 through 90. And maybe you're wondering, well, why, why aren't we continue to follow the, the, the question and answers by means of sequence? Let me give you a quick background on this. Um, uh, about uh, maybe a month or two ago, I was asked to um, speak at a youth conference um, in Langley. And um, I, was, uh, I was prepared to do that um, about a week ago, and it was canceled due to weather. Remember, we got all that snow. And so I thought to myself, well, I put all that work um, into researching this, this message that I was going to give to these younger individuals on, and I was asked to do this on the matter of repentance, because it's not really so much preached about or even thought about among Christians anymore, the matter of repentance, although the Bible says so much about it, as we'll see. And I thought, well, if I've done all that time putting the research into that, what I can do is I can reconfigure that speech and make it into uh, a sermon, because so, I didn't want to waste all the time that I put into that. So we're going to look at the matter of repentance, and then in a few weeks, in the beginning of the year, when we return to our catechetical series after the Advent season, then we'll get back to where we left off. So that's why we're looking at question and answers 88, 89, and 90. But before we look at that together, um, I want to read from Psalm 130. And, oh, one other thing. Kids, I want you to listen up. And um, I'm going to ask you a little bit after I begin the sermon, I'm going to ask you what comes to mind when you think of the word repent or what is repentance. Now, maybe you go, I don't, I'm not so sure, but think about it and tell me what's on your mind, okay? And then I'm going to entertain your, your answers to that in just a bit, okay? So I'm just giving you a heads up to give you a chance to think about it. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And then I want to draw your attention to uh, question and answers 88, 89, and 90, and as we typically do here, I'll ask the question, and then uh, let's recite the answer. It's on the overhead. So Here's the question. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? Let's say together. It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. Now, two natural questions that spring from that. Okay, then what is the dying of the old nature? And let's say it is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and a delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. 
And we're going to end precisely at that moment. As we look at the matter of repentance, you'll notice also the catechism noting the word repentance or conversion. Now, technically, given the fact that this is more of a teaching service in the afternoon, sermons tend to be a little bit shorter so that we have some time also for discussion. Um, conversion, technically speaking, theologically consists of really two things. Repentance and also then faith in Jesus Christ. So repentance is the beginning of conversion. It's not theologically a full definition of conversion. But nonetheless, the catechism talks, connects repentance as it should to conversion. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at this afternoon. What it really means to repent. Now, if you grew up in the church, you've heard of the need to repent. So if you've been at all in the church, it should not be surprising that you would hear a sermon on repentance and that we would all need to repent. But the real question is, what does that really mean, specifically? Specifically. Because there's a number of things that could be said about um, repentance. And i got to tell you, um, as a pastor, in, in working with individuals, and you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again, and I'll say especially for the sake of the visitors, that when I've interacted, whether it be with those who call themselves Christians, or those who maybe did not grow up as Christians, or grew up in a Christian family, or grew up in the church, but they're grappling with the things of Christ, I've never met an individual who actually crossed the line and embraced Christ and lived the Christian life apart from repentance. It's never seen it. And that should stand to reason. Because Jesus himself, as well as the Old Testament prophets, as well as we'll see John the Baptist and the apostles, they all talked about the need for repentance. There is no coming to Christ. There is no remaining in Christ. There is no growing in Christ apart from repentance. Okay? But um, the question is, what does that, what does it really mean? Kids, I'm going to ask in just a moment. Before we do... When you take a look at the Bible, when you look at this book, and let's say you're exploring it for the first time and you start from Genesis and you go all the way to Revelation, you're, you, you will see, almost like a salt shaker that's, that's shaken on the Bible, you see that there's all kinds of sprinklings of either examples of repentance or calls to repentance or definitions of repentance. A.V., if you put some of those passages up for me... Um, I want you to notice, I'm going to give you just a, um, a sampling of the sprinklings regarding repentance. Let's deal with the scriptures here. The forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one who prepared the way for Christ was whom? Anyone? John the Baptist. Okay. John the Baptist said this. In those days, or the Bible says about John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, and he said what? What was the, what was the central part of his message? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you go to the next one. Now we have Jesus. Interestingly, Jesus repeated the very words of John the Baptist. Jesus began to preach, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Go to the next one, if you would. Now, Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. Jesus performs his three-year ministry, right? And then he, he is crucified, he dies, he rises from the dead, and then he ascends into heaven. But before he ascends into heaven, he gives a mandate, a mission mandate to his disciples, which focuses, according to these words, once again, the central message being repentance. 
Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and die and on the third day rise from the dead and that, notice, repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. A church is not really a true church and the preaching from the pulpit of the church is not true preaching unless it deals with the matter of repentance. Move on, if you would. Acts 2, 37 and 38. Jesus ascends into heaven, and then what does he do? According to his promise to his disciples, he pours forth his Holy Spirit, and Peter begins to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when they heard Peter's preaching, he's preaching to individuals that are assembled at Pentecost, at the Feast of Pentecost, in Jerusalem, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you got John the Baptist, you got Jesus, and then you got the message for the apostles, a message of repentance, and then the apostles actually carry that out. Next. Here the Apostle Paul is. I'm just giving you a sampling. Acts 17, which is the famous passage on Paul's Mars Hill in Athens, an intellectual center. And the Apostle Paul is preaching to pagan philosophers, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. And at one point in his message, he says this. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, and now he commands people everywhere to what? To repent. A few other examples. Now the Lord is speaking directly to his church. The church also needs to repent. And the Lord says to the church in Ephesus, who seem to have everything right, he says, I know your works, how you have toiled and patiently endured, and you, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have lost your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. Now, I mentioned this passage on a number of occasions here. In the church of Ephesus, Christ is speaking to the church. He says, you know what? You've got a lot of things in order, right? You have doctrine in order. You have discipline in order. You have determination. You're not growing weary and keeping the faith in the midst of persecution. But here's the problem. It's your heart. You've lost your first love. Could be love for Christ or love for each other. What's the Lord's antidote to that? Does he just say, get with the program? No, he says, repent. Because you're dealing with sin in the congregation. One final one, the church in Sardis. I know your works, you have the reputation for being alive, he says, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So the Lord is saying to the church of Sardis, you know what? Here, here's what you have. you have. You have the impression that you give to people around you that you're really alive. He says, you're not alive. You're not alive. And you need to repent. You see, and listen, I, I didn't even cite any Old Testament. That's the first two-thirds two of the Bible, right? Repent, repent, repent. All right, kids, I want you to think about this now. Got your answers? What comes to mind when you think of the word repent? Let's deal with this just briefly. Anybody? What does it mean to repent? Go ahead. Pardon me? Giving yourself up. That's good. I would ask you to fill it out, but I'm not going to put you on the spot. What does that mean, to give it up? Give what up? But you're getting, I think you're getting close to it. Anyone else? Yes. Getting, being honest and real with all your sins, right? Very good. Honesty is the best policy regarding that. Because if you're not being honest, what are you doing? You're hiding things. One other one. Anybody? What is it? What comes to mind when you think? Go ahead. Saying sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
apologizing to whom? To God. Yeah, we're getting at it, different parts of, of what repentance is. Okay, the word, the word for repentance, at least, well, in the, in the, one of the words for repentance in the, in the Old Testament is the word shuv. Shuv, not shove. Shuv, it simply means to turn or to return. Giving us the idea that, that sometimes what we go through is we kind of turn our backs on God and we walk in a direction that he doesn't want us to go. Okay, so what we need to do is we need to turn back to God. That's part of repentance. Okay, the New Testament word oftentimes used for repentance is metanoia. And maybe you know this, but it means a radical change of mind. But if you really fill it out, it's talking about a radical change of mind and heart and will. What repentance is, basically, and I think I've explained this to you before, in the military you learn drill and ceremony, right? And you do an about face. This is what repentance is. It's an about face. It's a 100 degree, 180 degree turn where you're moving from one direction, which is not good, and moving to another direction, okay? That's what repentance is all about. Some people have described repentance as just kind of this unmasking, taking off this mask that we put on so that, so that we can actually come clean with God. One other theologian's name was Gerhardus Voss. Maybe you've heard of him before. He talks about repentance as a return to sanity. I thought this was very interesting. That we're actually living insane lives, crazy lives apart from repentance. It's only when we come to repentance that we come to a the true state of affairs before God. Repentance. Repentance. The question that we have to face this afternoon is this. Really, honestly, are our lives marked by repentance, genuine repentance, or are we simply, are, are we simply um, coasting along? I have, I have been in churches before where Things seemed so right, but there was so little life among the people, and sometimes little life from the pulpit. And, 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 and in the deepest, quietest moments, it made me think, maybe it makes you think too, is that body, is that church living a life of genuine repentance? Because if they're living a life of genuine repentance, and if they're handing themselves over to God, and they're really coming clean with God, then what naturally extends from that is what the Bible calls the fruit of repentance, Evidence of that, which invariably, as the catechism notes, as we're going to see in just a moment, results in joy and godly living. So the question is, are we genuinely repentant, honestly repentant, or are we simply coasting along? Um, this, is, this is what I have found in about 30 years of ministry, that there are a, um, a lot of people who I are sometimes in Christ, but more often than not outside of Christ, who who do everything in their lives but, but genuinely repent. A lot of them recognize in a very general way, general way that, that things are not right. And if you really search their hearts and you begin to have a conversation with them, and if they believe in a God, they will admit, though they're not perfect, uh, or though, um, though they're not the worst people in the world, well, I recognize I'm not perfect, and, and I'm not living a life, you know, um, in a way that probably God would like. You know, they say general things like that. And so what happens in their lives, and again, sometimes this even happens within the church, that we do, every, we do everything when it regards our sins. We do everything but truly repent. So what we end up doing is we kind of, we rationalize our sin. We say, well, you know, everybody does it. Or we make excuses for our sin. Oh, I can't help it. Or we minimize our sin. We don't think it's as serious as it really is. 
or we ignore our sin, we kind of sweep it under the rug. We do, we, we do, we do a lot of weird things with our sin, don't we? And things that are not right. And what does the Lord want from us? He said, what I want you to do is I want you to, to fess up to it and I want you to simply come clean. Well, let's get a little bit deeper into that. What, is that, what, is that really, what does that really look like? Um, would you put the, the, the catechism back on there, if you would, please? Yeah, you got to go back a ways. Okay. All right. Um, I want to run through this, just give a basic explanation to this. The question is, what is true repentance or the conversion of man, this turning, this 180-degree turn, okay? And the answer is, it is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. How do you know if you're truly repentant? How do you know if you're really dealing with your sin? Well, what happens is that the person that you have been and the way that you have been living is in light of, I think the passage from Romans chapter 8, we end up coming to grips with that, recognizing it, expressing sorrow for it, and, and turning from it. And in doing that, what we're doing is we're actually putting, putting our old selves and our old lifestyle, we, we're, we're putting it to death. The Bible calls actually crucifying the flesh, crucifying the old way, and then putting it away, putting it to death. That's repentance. Okay? The, 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 take a look at um, question uh, 89. What is that dying of the old nature? It is to, to grieve with a heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and to flee from it. Um, someone once said that, he said, here are the, the constituent elements of repentance, okay? It's, it's a recognition of who you truly are in the eyes of God, that you are, as the Bible says, a sinner, and that you're naturally offense to God, and naturally you are the object in and of yourself because of your sin of the judgment of God in this life as well as the life to come. That is a serious thing, okay? So, so that's repentance. When you, when, you, when you understand that, okay, then you, you, you have a realization that you don't want to live that life anymore. So you put it to death. You put it to death. That's what the catechism says. It's to grieve with a heartfelt sorrow that you've offended God by your sin, and you more and more hate it, and actually, this is what it means to die from it, you're not only putting it away, but you're fleeing from it with a resolute desire to sin no more. The, there's, there's, a, there's a term that, that theologians use. It's a shun word. It's a noun word, and it starts with an M that describes this first part of conversion, which is repentance. Anybody know what that is? starts with an M. More mortification. Ever hear that term? Mortification. When we mortify our sins, what we're doing is we're just we're, we're putting those sins to death and saying, I don't want to live this way anymore. But then there's another term that theologians use that starts with a V. That's the opposite of mortification. It's what we call vivification. That is, not only do we die to our sins, but when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, resting in him for the forgiveness of our sins, through his atoning work on the cross, that is called coming to new life in Jesus Christ. And that's why the catechism goes on to say, well, what is that coming to life of the new nature? And notice that coming to life in Jesus Christ doesn't leave you dull. It doesn't leave you coasting through the Christian life. 
but it produces palpable joy. It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and a delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. That's called the fruit of repentance. You have the repentance, but you also have the fruit. What's the fruit of genuine repentance? What's the evidence of it? It's joy and godliness, living for the Lord, living for each other, loving the Lord, loving one another, the fruit of repentance. And you know, the, the, the experience of that, really, um, this is an interesting thing. The, the experience of that is, is different in every person because of who they are in terms of their personality and the circumstances of their life. So you say, well, what, what is repentance kind of in terms of the human experience? What, what does that look like? And sometimes, if you pay attention to it, and, and you, you read a little bit about the history of the church, you realize that sometimes the experience of the repentance is um, it's, it's, it's rather slow and it's rather gradual. It's, it's, kids, I would describe it as um, just kind of waking up from a deep sleep. Any of you identify with that? Um, where maybe you, you grew up in the church, but you went through kind of a rough period in your life. Maybe it was a short time. Maybe it was a longer period of time. But you came to the realization that the way that you were living and the things that you were given in terms of teaching and experience when you are younger, you just couldn't throw it away. And you kind of came to the very quiet realization that what you needed to do is you needed to turn from that life and draw near to the Lord. You needed to repent. You needed to repent. It was like awaken. It was an awakening, and then your life just gradually went in a different direction. Sometimes repentance, when you when you when you look at the lives of people, it's it's not very quiet. It's very or very gradual, but it's rather sudden and it's rather dramatic. In some cases, painful. For instance, let me give you an example. Some of you have heard of uh, the woman named uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who was a, a former lesbian who was converted to Jesus Christ. This is how she described her own repentance and her conversion, if you'll put that up there, please. Here's what she says. Christians sometimes politely talk about the need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. This politeness is too tame and refined to capture the train wreck that I experienced in coming face to face with the living God. Repentance requires that we draw near to Jesus no matter what. And sometimes we have to crawl there on our hands and our knees. Repentance is an intimate affair and for many of us it's a terrifying prospect. Now, you think about her. I'm not going to get into the details, but here's a woman, just generally speaking, here's a woman who was steeped in sexual sin. And for her to, to contemplate turning from that life, which seems like the most natural thing in the world for her, for her to make that transition and draw to, near to Christ was a terrifying thing. And for a lot of people, the whole thought of repentance, especially if they're steeped in deep, deep sin, the thought of repentance is terrifying. Why is it? You know why? Because it means you got to die to yourself. And most people don't want to do that. This is why when she said that she came, actually by the grace of God, she came to Christ, it felt like, it just like a, just an impact, you know, it was like a, it was like a train wreck, she said, you know. Sometimes people experience that. Repentance is not always just a freeing thing. Sometimes initially it's a very painful thing, although the fruit is beautiful afterwards. And then one final thing, um, sometimes this conversion or this repentance occurs less in a painful way, but 
through quiet realization that you were a sinner who was in need and it affects you in a very deep, deep and very um, emotional way where many, many tears are spread, uh, shed. Um, 1840 Scotland, a time of revival in Scotland. And ministers and many people in the church were praying for revival. That is the, the descent of the spirit in a very powerful way. And so they prayed for that. And the preachers were preaching under the conviction of the spirit. And, and, and really not much different was going on in the way that the preaching was done. But people were praying. And then it happened. The spirit appeared to descend. And in church services, people came to grips truly with who they were for the first time. And people who are weak in faith started to come alive. And they started to awaken from their slumbers. And one observer says this. If you go on to the next one. From Andrew Bonar. Scottish Revival of the 1840s. I observed in our church services an awful and breathless stillness. Each hearer bent forward in the posture of rapt attention. Again at such a time I heard a half-suppressed sigh rising from many a heart and have seen many bathed in tears. There were also times when I heard individuals cry out loud as if they had been pierced through with a dart. On one occasion when the minister was speaking tenderly on the words, He is altogether lovely. Almost every sentence was punctuated with the cries of the bitterest agony. At such times, I have seen persons so overcome that they could not walk or stand alone. Well, you know the Scots, just in the way that they roll their R's, it's about enough to make anybody become repentant. You know, it's such a beautiful language. But here's the thing, the spirit was at work and people were coming to grips with who they are and they were resting in Jesus Christ. Um, I want to I give you just, if I may, I want to give you just one other uh, example of this. In, in the life of a man that I mentioned some time ago, a couple weeks ago, his name is um, uh, Jack Miller. He was a pastor and he was a seminary professor. And um, there was a time in his life in the late, when he was in his late 30s, early 40s, where many people were um, casting accolades, you know, and they're, they're pumping him up because, oh, they said, you're such a wonderful pastor and your church is great and your church is growing. And um, he was a kind of seminary professor where students would come around him, you see, and they thought that what a wonderful professor he was. But he, and, and so they, they were telling him how great he was, but he realized that um, the people only saw the outside, but they didn't see the inside. And he knew that deep down he was filled with pride, that he was a prayerless man, that his marriage was not in the best state, and he realized that he really had a rather impersonal relationship with God, although it looked very different on the outside. And he realized one thing. He realized that he needed to repent, and he did. And it changed the course of his life, and it changed the course of his ministry. And subsequent to that, he would interact with the people of his congregation regularly, and he would say to them, when was the last time you repented? What did you repent of? I mean, he spoke very openly about that. And he went on, because of that experience, to write a book, which is on the back table now, because I have an extra copy of it. It's called Repentance, The Daring Call to Self-Surrender. Pick that up. Take a look at it after the worship service or in the weeks to come. Listen, we all need to repent. What do you think? What do you think? Are you ready to repent? And what do you think about the Lord? Is the Lord willing and ready to receive you in your repentance? You remember the story of the prodigal son in the Bible? Luke chapter 15. He had a young man. We don't know how old he is, but he asked his father for an early disbursement of his inheritance monies. 
And the dad gave him the inheritance money. So what did he do? You remember the story, right? He, he, he took off from home. And the Bible says, I don't know if you remember this, if you know the story, but he actually, the Bible says, quote, he went to a far country. In other words, that, that said that he tried to get away from his father as far as possible and that the authority of his father. So he went into a far country with the monies from the early disbursement. And what did he do? He partied the money away. And while he had that money and while he was spending, oh, he had all kinds of friends, right? Because he had all this money. So he, he had friends that would party with him. But as soon as the money ran out, where were the friends? They were gone. And so he figured, I need to live somehow, and I'm still far away from my father's house. So he needed to get a job. So he got a job. Where did he get a job? Tending pigs. If this young man was a Jew, that's about the worst job that you can ever have because you can't touch pork and you can't eat pork. But there he is. He's serving in this pigsty, and he finds himself in the pigsty even having to, to, to come to, to the lowest levels of having to eat, that's all he had, to eat the, the garbage that the, the pigs were given. And he had finally come to the end of his rope, and he had reached rock bottom, and oftentimes it's usually where we have to go for really going to genuinely repent. And he hit rock bottom, and then he came to a point of intense self-realization. And do you remember what he said? He said, I have sinned against heaven, really, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against my Father. I will return, repentance, return, I'll return to my Father's house. But he didn't know how that was going to go. But he went to his Father's house, and he's walking, and he's walking many, many kilometers. And finally, he's nearing his Father's house, and the dad, the dad is actually outside of the house, and he sees his son from afar. Remember what the dad does? Did the dad do this? Hmm, yeah, this ought to be good. No, the father runs. The father runs out to him, and the father embraces him, and the father kisses him, and he puts a robe on him, and he puts a ring on his finger, and what he does is he he throws a party of his own, a party of parties, and he kills the fatted calf, so to speak. And he says, the son who is dead is now alive. He was lost, has been found. That's what happens when you repent. None of us should ever believe that we are so steeped in our sins, no matter what we are struggling with at the moment, and believe that the cause is lost and God will never receive us. Remember what the Bible says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Remember the prodigal father who, who doesn't do this, but he runs out, he runs out, and he embraces his son. So let me ask you this. What skeletons you got in the closet? What are the more deeper, darker shadows of your life? What mask are you wearing currently that does not reveal who you truly are to others and who you are before the Lord? What sins do you need to confess and bring to the table? You know, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with your sin, and I will give you rest. Jesus just says, just repent. Repent, come clean. And maybe you say, well, you know, I, I think I really have repented. <laughs> Repentance is never a one-time thing. Spiritual rebirth is a one-time thing. Once the Spirit produces life in you, He remains there. Justification, being declared righteous by God by virtue of the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, that is not a repeated thing. That is a one thing. 
Repentance, conversion, is an ongoing thing. Why is that? Because we keep sinning. Every time we sin, the Lord says, just repent, come clean. Keep coming to me, and I will continue to forgive, and I will continue to give grace. And if you've never repented, and you've never come clean with God, let me ask you this. Why is that? Search your heart. Why is that? Hmm? Is it pride? Is it fear? Is it the prospect that you're going to have to die to some significant things in your life? What is it? Whatever it is, the Lord says, just come. Come to me. Because in doing so, you have nothing to lose except your sin and everything to gain. And that is life in this life, a new life, and life in the world to come. Let us be a repentant people. We're going to have discussion in just a moment. Before we do, let's have a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us the humility to lay ourselves and honesty to lay ourselves bare before you. For all of us, Father, in reality, are naked before you, naked in our sin. Nevertheless, Lord, we try to clothe ourselves, make ourselves appear better than what we are, but we're not. And so, Father, we pray that given the fact that we are all in this together, that we all struggle with sins in our lives that need to be forgiven, we pray, O oh Lord, that you give us a heart to keep drawing near unto you and finding our life in Christ. Make us more and more a repentant and believing people. And Father, if we have never done that, Lord, we pray that this day, this day, as the Bible says, would be the day of salvation, of deliverance, so that we might find truly a new life, a life rooted in Christ. Lord, we pray for this, and we pray this all. In Jesus' name, amen.